Welcome to Character First, a podcast focusing on developing confidence, empathy, resilience, and 21st century skills for our children and our future. You're listening to Character First, Episode 3 featuring Darby Fox, child and adolescent therapist and frequent national TV correspondent on parenting and adolescent-related issues. Hi, this is Derek Correa, host of Character First. So happy to have Darby Fox as a guest today. Hi, Darby. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Let's start by talking about your chosen specialization. You are a child and adolescent therapist. What caused you to specifically choose treating children? I It was a pretty easy decision. I love to work with kids and uh, particularly adolescents because I feel they're so hopeful. They're not as ingrained in... Um, their ways, and they're really pretty responsive, looking to please. Everybody wants to please. And so with a little bit of help and direction and a lot of belief, um, I think that you can make some real changes. That's got to be a great feeling. So the children that you see today, why are they ending up in your office? What's driving them to see you? Their parents, no. I mean, <laughs> most often they're driven by, there's some some area that they're not as successful as they'd like to be. So is that a learning disability? And consequently, then there's lower self-esteem or self-confidence. Is there a lot of anxiety about social pieces, trying to fit in or belong, especially with technology? Um, maybe they can't get along with their parents. So there's something out of balance in their day-to-day living. And it, it can be anything. So What's changed, if anything, in the last 10 or even the last five years in terms of the kinds of things that you're seeing with children and the conversations you're having and what they're contending with? Uh, There's a big change. In the last 10 years, I went from probably seeing kids with anxiety starting around 12. Now it's dropped down to probably eight years old. So that's a pretty marked change in, in their life that the anxiety and stress even sometimes a little bit of depression has backed up that far. Um, And we frequently see now a lot more social media and technology has created a lot of problems with um, social anxiety, narcissism, sort of a a lack of self-identity. That's interesting. So you're clearly not going to tell these kids that they have to stop using social media or stop gaming. Right. So what are the things that you tell them? What are some of the the ways you communicate to them the issues with some of that stuff and how they might better handle it? Well, there's a couple pieces there. It's always important to, in what I do, it's never isolated from parents. You have to be, the parents have to be part of it because you can't just, um, especially with minors, change one piece of the system. You've got to adjust all the pieces. So I definitely give the parents the message that even though social media is creating some problems, that they have to be really strong about how they raise their kids outside of social media, almost acting as if it it, it doesn't exist. And with the adolescents or kids, we really need to focus on telling them, helping them to know how it is creating distress for them. So if if it's studying, it's interfering, it's constantly um, interfering with their brain and their ability to shift and multitask. We aren't meant to be multitaskers. So we have real hard science about what happens if you're getting pings from Instagram or, you know, somebody's 
sending you text while you're trying to take in your biochem message. We learn the efficiency drops to about 50%. So some real hard science is really helpful with adolescents, especially with sleep and social media, those things, they tend to see it as their parents just wanting to control them. So part of my job is to get them to think, you don't want to do these things because they impact you. It's how are you, how does this reflect on you as a person and kind of forget about your parents and the parents, the other way around is your, your job is to guide and set boundaries. So do that. So social media, a, a big impact on kids and some good advice there. What about over-parenting and over-scheduling? They don't have the same recency. They've been going on for a little bit longer, but what kind of impact does that have on kids, the, the constant scheduled activities and parent and adult adjacency? They are having an impact on kids. They're probably having a greater impact because of social media. As you said, they've always existed. But one thing that um, has escalated with that is it just adds one more piece of input, if you will, into not only the parents' brains, but the adolescents' brains, there's always something more going on. So if you're rushing from one sport to the next sport to the tutor for SATs, it's this constant um, what's next, this frazzling. And that's been very hard on people. And we are starting to see it have a huge impact on adolescents and with anxiety and depression, with all the mental illnesses um, escalating. And part of that is. Um, also with social media, there's been a rise in scheduling to try and be better, to do more because you see what other people are doing. So parents are particularly bad at saying, oh my gosh, what are these people doing? We've got to get in that race too. So it's kind of created an arms race because it's so visible and that's been incredibly dangerous. And, you know, the stress that comes from having your parents constantly around or adults around during scheduled activities uh, as a stressor, you know, you need to meet expectations of your parents or adults when they're around. But there's also, you know, the idea that when you have more free time, it's not just the absence of your parents and adults, but it's also that that free time in its own right is important. Uh, some time where you're not having to to do something specific or in particular that's directed to you and your brain has its space for you to think and reflect um, what what kind of science is there behind this? Is this is this true? Is this a real phenomenon that we need to be concerned about? You're listening to Character First, Episode 3 featuring Darby Fox, child and adolescent therapist and frequent national TV correspondent on parenting and adolescent-related issues. Uh, I, I'm glad you brought that up, Derek, because that's a very important part of the whole process of growing and developing one of the things that we are best at and adolescents especially have this incredible capacity for learning new things and being very creative and exploring. And that piece only happens when all the other programmed scheduled things aren't taking place. So it's very important that we have the downtime. Um, there's, there's all kinds of hard science on if you allow your brain to downregulate, that's mean escape where you're not, you know, you're not multitasking, you're not pursuing a complex task, then that is the time when you're able to kind of actually daydream and think and process. There's two important pieces there. That's how we sort of 
think about who we might want to be or where we want to go or what interests us. So that's a very important part of our self-identity that gets lost with constant scheduling and social media input. And the other part is it's a little bit of boredom. We learn how to tolerate the harder things in life when we're a little bit bored and we have to figure out, okay, what is it that I need to do to get past this boring activity or this awful afternoon? How do I satisfy or self-soothe? And that's a really important component of what gets lost when we do this over-scheduling, over-parenting, constant connection with outside sources. So that's really interesting. That starts to get into the, the resilience area, which is an important aspect of character. And it never occurred to me, I wasn't aware that, you know, one of the ways that resilience happens is by the brain having time off so it can reflect. And that makes sense. So it stands to reason if kids have less time to have free play and to make mistakes while they're exploring, uh, that's part of the issue we have today with lack of resilience. But that's a really fascinating thought, that, that, that one of the other parts of it is that they don't have enough time to reflect either. You know, And as adults, I think we're all familiar with laying in our bed at night and thinking about what transpired during the day and thinking about different situations and, you know, having those thoughts sometimes, well, you know, maybe I could have handled that better. Or perhaps I should have thought differently about that. And I wonder what the outcome might have been. Right. And kids need that time, too. So uh, tell us a little bit more about that aspect of, of kids developing resilience. Well, I think one important aspect, you, you've touched on some of the resilience, and it definitely is the piece where we learn through our mistakes, and parents definitely have to let their kids sort of soft failure, like the little, and I call it soft failure because, you know, the the mistakes in middle school and high school really usually are not that um, catastrophic, a B plus as opposed to an A minus or whatever it is. It's really not that big a deal. So we need to let we really need to let them do that. <laughs> but I think also a really important piece of resilience is that part, the self-reflection. And the way that we actually grow and become able to tolerate more and more is self-reflection. And if you don't have any downtime, then this is a you know biological, neurological piece. If you don't have the downtime, you can't reflect. And without reflection, we have no ability to move forward. It's like just dead. There's no history. So that's a really important piece. It also teaches us that step. The best way to learn anything is experiential. You experience it and then you can say, I do better. I could do, you know, I did a pretty good job that time or I can do better. And what we see is if we don't allow someone, an adolescent in particular, to do that struggling on their own, then they don't build the neuro, the connections, the neurotransmitters aren't smoothing the pathways that allow them to think in those kind of connective ways. This goes with this and that kind of learning. Really important to keep in mind. So that's fascinating to know. So, so kids face a lot of adversity. And the thing is, you know, you got parents who think things are really serious that oftentimes aren't. And then you also have us, we have a tendency to be dismissive of things that don't seem significant to us, right? but are actually significant to our kids. So 
I remember talking to you once about a therapy strategy and you talk about positive influence and how important being positive is and how important positive influence can also be from peers and others. Uh, it was fascinating to hear you talk about that. So, so share a little bit more about your thoughts that, that people actually get better and develop confidence and, and improve and move forward when they focus on positives and not the things that are holding them back. So um, what I like to think about, and one reason I think that maybe I work a little differently with people, um, whether it's the little kid or the mother, what I like to do is ask them frequently what they're good at. Because what happens is we always get patients and they bring them in and, you know, I'm not like a doctor. So a doctor, you have to know what's not working right. When someone comes to me, I want to know what they're really good at, because if I can tap into what their strengths are, I can work backwards into teaching them they have the strength somewhere in them because they've been successful somewhere to go ahead and deal with the pieces that are more difficult. And once they have this sense that there's this positive piece like, oh, yeah, I am worthwhile then they do have the strength and the courage to go ahead and look at the things that they maybe need some help with. And that's the piece that I think is really important, especially with adolescents who are, because of the way their brain is developing and their connection with peers and always being judged by peers, but also exploring this whole new world and wanting to learn and do things on their own. It's really important that we show them, actually, we believe you have it. We don't know that you'll always make the right decision, but we believe you can get there. So let's look at what we can do to help you get there. And you got to do it on your own. And that's another really piece. When we tell them we believe in them and that they can get there, then we often see that they do it. It doesn't mean it's flawless, but it does mean we can get them there. That's a, that's a great approach. You know, it's interesting, and it's probably a legacy of, of how grading and the grading system works from a time we're very young. You know, invariably, when you come home to your parents and you got a report card and you got a couple of A's and A minuses and maybe, you know, a B minus or a C in there, invariably, the focus, right, is it's on that C. Probably not enough time is spent talking about or focusing on, on the stuff that you did a great job at and and how wonderful that is and what are the implications of that we tend to go we tend to go right to the sea right well if you got this a i believe you can do this other thing or you know it's it's and i love working with adolescents that way because they don't tend to have real strong self-confidence and so that's one of the fun parts is to show them they they do and they are also expect to do it. This is such great information, Darby. Thanks so much. Lastly, I know you have a book coming out. It's tentatively titled Rethinking Your Teenager. Tell us a little bit about the book and what we can expect to learn from it. Well, hopefully it's a, it's, we've kind of designed it to be a little bit of a guide to parenting adolescents. And again, Working with adolescents is one of my favorite age groups, and a lot of people really dread going into uh, the adolescent years thinking, oh my God, this is going to be nothing but a battle. I just have to survive. And what I hope the book does is look at several different sort of myths about adolescence, kind of debunk the myth, and give some a combination of neurological 
and psychological sort of background information and then some helpful sort of day-to-day tips on how to actually work with your adolescent to have a relationship with them. And I feel that as as you head into adolescence, what you want to think about instead of controlling them because you really no longer can control them, you really want to have a relationship that's based on respect and empathy and that's how people develop and that's when we can start to see them really mature and we know that they're going to go into that next stage of early adulthood and be worthwhile contributing empathetic people that's great we, we all made it through somehow didn't we yeah we all had something there thank goodness we didn't have mobile devices and social media back then i, I could say that with confidence <laughs> It would be worse for some than others, Derek. <laughs> Indeed, it would. So uh, thank you so much for being our guest today, and uh, all the best to you. Take care. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Character First. 